The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports, the where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. That's right, it's another Superload edition of Secondary Perspective. I am your host, Nick Ferguson, and as always, I'm joined by my steam co-host, the Batman to my Robin, or my Incredible Hulk to my Iron Man. That would be Mario Batanza. You can follow him on Twitter at MileHighMario. You can find me also on Twitter at NickFerguson underscore 25. Mario, Nick. what's... Tell me this, what's a four-letter word that you can say that no one would get offended by, but everyone seems to love? Do you know that? Uh, crap? Uh, no, that would not be it. The word is free, F-R-E-E, and that's right. If you go to Voice America Net- Network Radio, you can get that free app and listen to this show every Thursday. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Mario coming up on the program later on. We will have none other than Ohio State standout running back Maurice Corrette, and he's going to tell us exactly what he's been up to and ways that he's encouraged kids not to follow what he did previously, but to follow what he's doing now. But real quickly before we get to Maurice and get him on the line, uh, of course, the NFL draft is around the corner. And and it's in Chicago, and we talked about it uh, last week, but... Some interesting news. Earlier in the week, uh, there was a poll by NFL.com. And on that poll, it talked about five teams that made the playoffs last year that would not make the playoffs this year. Do you know which one of those teams that was on that, I guess to say, list that you are a beloved fan of? And I was surprised (laughs) that was on this list. I I did see that, Nick, and I saw that it was the Denver Broncos and – you have to find storylines in the offseason at some point, right? I mean, it's in between uh, the combine and the draft right now. So now Marcus Mariota inexplicably is gaining a lot of traction, you know, even though a lot of people thought he was the best quarterback to begin with, and then it was Winston. Now it's going back to Mariota. Is This is just one of those attention grabbers, and they, you know, they're they're going to make these outlandish, wild guesses, and they're they're basically throwing poop against the wall 
and just seeing what's going to stick. I'm sure that we're going to look back at that list in, uh, you know, several months and, you know, in the, in the middle of the season, we're going to be thinking, what, what reason did they have for putting the Broncos on that list? And, you know, I'm not going to get mad about it. I understand some guy over there has a job to put out certain content and, you know, every day or every week or, you know, what have you. So I'm not going to let it bother me. I just think that it's, I think, I think it's outrageous. He think he was just doing it for cheap clicks, and that's all really I got to say about it, man. Well, you know what? When I, when I saw it, I mean, I think I, I took and I had the same reaction that, that you had. Well, how can you put a team led by Peyton Manning on this roster? In fact, you bring in Gary Kubiak and Wade Phillips. They signed Antonio Smith from the Oakland Raiders. As though I said before, and we had Greg Cosell on the show, and I told both of you guys that Owen Daniels is going to be a great piece to this puzzle for Peyton Manning and so much for Julius Thomas. He's in Jacksonville. That's not going to change. They're not really going to miss him. But hey, did you, you at- did you see the picture of all of the uh, all the guys that went to that Duke camp? By the way, where it was him, Cody Latimer, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Bubba Caldwell, Virgil Green? Did you see that picture at all? And then Owen Daniels is kind of off to the side. Well, no, I, I didn't. I didn't see that. But once he again, looked, he looked like a contest winner. He looked like the guy that won the contest to be in the picture with the rest of the guys. He looked so out of place. You got to go look at the picture. Well, I'll tell you what. He might have looked out of place on that photograph. But I can tell you what. Inside the red zone, out on the field, up those seams, he's going to be the go-to guy for Peyton Manning. And right now, he's just trying. I know that's your I know yeah, that's I mean, your... no, not, not just, just because I played with him, but I just know what he brings to the table. And the fact that Peyton Manning used to have a guy by the name of Dwight Clark running those same seam routes. But now he gets another guy that is capable to get inside the seams, getting behind the linebacker and getting in front of the free safety. But he has a little more hip movement and speed. Dallas Clark, the, Nick. Well, I'm sorry, Dallas Clark. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you for that. But, but he has a little more wiggle that Oren Daniels than Dallas Clark has. So he's going to be an instrumental part of Coach Kubiak's offense and the execution of the Denver Broncos inside that, that red zone area. So I'm not worried uh, about that. But what some are kind of worried about is the fact that Demarius Thomas did not show up for that throwing session at Duke with Peyton Manning and David Cutcliffe. For me, I don't see anything to a point where it affects the Denver Broncos in any way, shape, form, or fashion because it's the first day of off-season workouts. And if he's not there, not a big deal. If, he, if he's not there for OTAs and he holds out for training camp because he doesn't right. like the fact that, you know, they slapped a franchise tag on him, that's an entirely different story. So I'm not worried about it. We know what the chemistry is. We know what he can do outside those numbers. He's a big play guy. He's a 10-touchdown uh, season guy. He's a 1,000-yard receiver. So I'm not worried about, about that. But we'll, we'll see what Here's happens. what I don't get, yeah. Nick, is he made it very well known to the organization and even to the public that if the team franchised him that he wouldn't want to sign a long-term deal. Now, hopefully the Broncos get this done and – you know, fans are going to be fickle and say what they say about him not going to this, you know, non-mandatory camp down in Duke. And if you look back at his history, when he had the torn Achilles injury, Nick, it was during off-season workouts. So, you know, he, he posts stuff on Facebook and on Twitter and people start commenting and say, you know, you need to get your you-know-what to Duke. You think that you're above the team, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like I had to come to his aid. It's like these are people that are supposed to be fans of his that are throwing him under the bus. And it's like go look back at his history and when he got hurt. Because I was just trying to say, you know what? No money is guaranteed. If he signs this franchise tag and then he gets hurt, then he's in big trouble. 
So why wouldn't he protect himself? And people are like, oh, well, he's a professional athlete. He's not going to get hurt during a practice. But that is exactly what he was doing when he tore his Achilles. So why wouldn't he take care? It's not like he's not going to work out. It's not like he's going to show up and not be prepared. So Bronco fans, just let him do his thing and hope that the team extends his contract to just be on this franchise tag. Well, you know what? That, that is a concern for any athlete, any organization. When you go through OTAs, when you go through off-season conditioning, and even training camp, guys can get injured. You're talking about high-powered, high-conditioned, fit athletes that are capable of going out there and showing what they have to do speed, strength-wise. And anything is capable of happening. A, a guy can actually, you know, trip over his dog maybe, fall down some stairs and injured himself. It might sound familiar. Remember, a Denver quarterback said that happened to him <laughs> one night. You know, he, he, one, one, one night he was late. He wasn't drinking, but somehow he tripped over his dog and hurt himself. So at any point, whether it's on the field or off the field, a guy can injure himself. So that's always a major concern. And, and I understand, you know, Demers' uh, side of, from a player standpoint, you want to make sure the team pays you what you feel as though that you've earned. And, you know, has he outplayed his contract? Yes, he has. Is he an integral part of what the Denver Broncos are doing right now with the offense? Yes, he is. So hopefully these te- this team and Demarius Thomas can reach a long-term agreement that keeps him in a Denver Bronco uniform, but something they need to address and, you know, as far as the offseason goes and the upcoming draft is they need a quarterback. You know, Peyton Manning's on his last leg. I don't think Brock Osweiler, once again, in my opinion, will be that guy to kind of step in for Peyton Manning once he, he hangs up his cleats. So now you have to go out and try to get another guy in a draft, and that's probably something Demaris is thinking about when he's thinking long-term with this team. We know what they can do right now, but long-term, he's probably believing, because he's been out there on the field with uh, uh, Brock Osweiler, that Brock would not be that type of guy to get him the ball and get him his numbers the way that Peyton Manning has been so far. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let me ask you this, Nick. I mean, yeah, quarterback could be a little bit of a concern. Obviously not hardly anything in this year's free agency. I think Michael Vick was regarded as the top free agent quarterback, and he's still a free agent as we speak. So, you know, the Broncos are obviously not going to be in play for Mariota or Jameis Winston. So what point do you take a guy like Nick Hundley or Bryce Petty? I mean, second round might be a little bit too high when you have so many other glaring needs on this team. I mean, they have a young core of linebackers, but, you know, some of these kids can't stay healthy. Nate Irving's on his way out. So middle linebacker is going to be an issue. And that offensive line, Nick, might be the most important part of this team. Peyton Manning's not getting any more mobile. He's not getting any younger. And you're going to need an even better line than you had last year. And they lost a few guys. So I, I just I think they have a lot more needs before a quarterback but if you can get a guy like a Bryce Petty maybe in the fourth round if he does drop that far then I think that you take him but you got to address your top picks on needs that you have right now and then just hope that there's a deep quarterback class next year which you know there probably won't be well I think what Gary Kubiak is going to do both he and John and we're going to sit down and look at this year's prospects of quarterbacks and see who's the best fit and then once again, you got to think about the system that Gary Kubiak implemented when he was with the Denver Broncos and with the Houston Texans. He's going to need a mobile guy to get that done. So Huntley might be the guy. Garrett Grayson might be the guy. And, and, and Bryce Petty could be the guy. We don't know 
just yet. But another guy that we're going to bring into the program right now, you can follow him on Twitter at Reese Claret 13 Ohio State standout running back, had a sensational freshman year in 2002, and he knows what it takes on the collegiate level to be a top prospect. We bring in Maurice Claret. Maurice, thank you for joining us. Hello? Yeah, Maurice, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, thank you for joining us. Now, we, we were just talking about, you know, prospects coming in to the NFL. You at one point, and, and I'm going to go back uh, to year 2002, and I know everyone wants the, the you part too, and, and I hate to start off this way, but I'm going to start off this way. And my, my co-host Mario and I have gone back and forth on this. There was a play that took place at the tail end of that game between, uh, I believe it was Chris Gamble and Glenn Sharp, where a pass interference was called. And you guys had an opportunity to win that game based on that call. When you go out and you speak, as you do to a lot of kids trying to encourage them, do you constantly get questions about that play and whether you feel as though that was a legitimate call by the Fisher? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> well uh, uh, to answer the question, I don't get uh, questioned by a lot uh, because, you know, I'm old, you know, a lot of kids uh, that I talk to uh, in, in a lot of spaces, a lot of these kids don't even remember that time, you know what I'm saying? But if you were a diehard Miami fan or you were somebody from that era, um, and maybe from speaking at a church or some sort of business convention or uh, something in that sense that they'll ask you. But for the most part, no, you know, a lot of guys, uh, uh, they just uh, they just appreciated the whole game. You know, they uh, they talk more about the uh, the time I stripped uh, Sean Taylor of the football uh, than the actual play. But um, everybody from Florida or from Miami or whoever was rooting for Miami at that time uh, made a made a big deal or a big grab about the play. Well, you know what that that that's funny because I've had some uh, former uh, University of Miami fans and players on the show. Clem Portis was on the show, and another guy in the media world, John Michael Sue, down there with. With CP wouldn't even talk game. about it. Yeah, CP wouldn't talk about it, but a lot of people are still up in arms about it. I remember the play because I was playing for the Jets at that time, and all I heard was a bunch of screams and yells, and they felt as though you know Miami was robbed. But uh, you know, it, it's always going to be one of those controversial things that people are going to talk about, and I'm sure Ohio State and Miami yourself are going to be linked to that. But speaking, uh, I just want to stay on Ohio State. Go ahead. Oh no! Uh, in just regards to that, even when they bring it up. Um, you know, I'm 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 aware of how a lot of those guys feel, and and to put it in context, uh, at the end of the day, it's just a game. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and life goes on, and there's many things that happen from that. But I but I think uh, when you have all those guys inside the conversation, uh, and you can have so many prominent guys who play for their team, who play for us as well. Uh, I think the larger conversation. Uh, it should be had in regards of uh, the experience of student athletes and, and what they meant to universities and what they uh, didn't get from universities and, and how things could change to um, uh, to help move move forward uh, with the experience for most student athletes on these campuses. And so when when guys seem to talk to me about uh, that play, it's kind of like null and void. Uh, and if I and if I choose to use my energy or speak out about something, I want to talk about you know improving the conditions of uh, student athletes, helping to educate these guys better, and to talk about uh, the guys who weren't on the field. You know, there's a lot of guys who are on that Miami team. Uh, instead of doing the U part one and part two, they should do a, a experiment on sort of where some of those guys landed. You know, uh, and, and go through that process and look at some of those guys from the Ohio State team, where they land that in life, and, and, and did they get their education, did they get their degree, and what are they doing now, and, and use your voice to speak towards that. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, if you just join us, we're joining. We're talking to Maurice Claret, outstanding running back from Ohio State. You can follow him on Twitter at ReeseClaret13. Staying with that theme there, Maurice. I mean, I've had several people on this show, coaches and players, and that was a constantly debated uh, argument whether college athletes should get paid. And you just touched on a major point. There's a lot of guys who play, they're primetime players, but they don't get an opportunity to play on that second level, uh, that, which is Sundays. And also, a lot of those guys don't get an opportunity to walk across that stage and get their degree. And in your opinion, when you look at college football, the college athletics in total, and the NCAA, what more can they do to help these college athletes out for those who have given so much to the program but yet is giving back to them? I think it's twofold. I think you have to raise awareness uh, to the athlete when he's uh, initially coming to campus uh, about the actual statistics, uh, what goes on. I think there has to be um, the parents have to be inclusive of it. Uh, a lot of these guys come from uh, um, depressed socioeconomic backgrounds, so you may not have the infrastructure at home to be supportive towards your kid when he goes to school, or you may not be aware of what coursework that he may need to take to basically sustain or to create a healthy living. Uh, for himself with the odds being the way they are, with going to that next level. And I think that issue needs to be pressed more, and I don't think schools do that. I think they do a lot of uh, recruiting and, and showing off of facility and, and selling out the dream, which ultimately brings these kids and these parents, which are naive in most cases, to the university. Uh, and, and it traps them, you know what I'm saying? But then also from the university standpoint, uh, I think you have to have some sort of personal development curriculum in place. You know, with so many sociologists, uh, so many uh, psychiatrists, and so many people who understand behavior and, and understand where you get the majority of these kids from, I think there needs to be some sort of a uh, system set in place, you know, and uh, and you have to be serious with the uh, the coursework that these guys take. And I think it's kind of embarrassing, you know, if you looked at the coursework from any of these major Division One schools, if you ask all their head coaches of uh, their teams, would they allow their own children to take these courses? Uh, I think the answer will be no. You know, there's no reason that you have so many guys piled up into uh, African American studies courses and they don't plan on uh, doing further research to uh, to further the education. That there's no reason you should have a bunch of inner city guys from Miami or South Florida taking ag agricultural classes or university studies degrees and stuff like that. And I think you just need to raise those hard conversations and really speak about them because in the long run, you don't have a lot of DJ Williams, you don't have a lot of intro roles, you don't have a lot of Jonathan Vilmas and, and so on and so forth. You know what I'm saying? These guys have to actually go back to a community at some point. And uh, and I always say this, you know, there's nothing that you could teach anybody from your neighborhood if you've not if you if you've left and haven't learned anything to come back and bring back. So it's a twofold conversation and a lot of it never happens because uh, you don't have a lot of people who just have the uh, the, the courage or the fortitude uh, to just speak upon it. But after going through it and realizing how I was affected of it prior to me coming to Denver. Uh, I just had a better understanding once I was in prison and, and just going out here and speaking to so many universities now, I'm just like raising awareness about it and offering up viable solutions, you know, saying based with the tools that they have in place. Now, have you, I know you said you go out and speak to a lot of college institutions. Have you thought about the fact of going to the NCAA yourself and just kind of telling them what you just told us about what your experiences were at the University of Ohio State. And, you know, just the fact that a lot of these kids come out of lower to middle class homes and they go to college as find an opportunity. Would you see yourself going to NCAA, trying to tell them, trying to push them to change their agenda and trying to put more policy in place to help guys as we're talking about right now? Yeah, well, I've never thought of going to NCAA, but I am going to uh, Appalachian Directors Conference here in June. 
uh, down in Orlando and is to raise these issues, you know, and to really, you know, just uh, and, and not challenge guys in a negative way, but to just, you know, for, for those who are in position, you know, for those who have uh, who created income and take care of their families off of the title of servicing student athletes, uh, they may think that they're doing the appropriate job. But I'm just here to raise awareness uh, in areas where these guys are not being serviced. You know what I'm saying? Because I see so many, and I'm pretty sure, Nick, yourself, you see so many who are done with the game and they have nothing else to offer but uh, a slower 40-yard dash, a vertical jump, and a bunch of stories. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I think it's sad in most cases when guys give their all to these universities, you know. And, and it's not to put it, it's not the university's fault uh, in total. It's the guys' fault as well. But I think, like, when you, when you have uh, – um, when you have as many intelligent people as you do, you know, you can, uh, when, we, when we live in an in a, in a, in a era where uh, information and problem solving is not that uh, not that hard to do, uh, I think that, you know, you just have to have these conversations with people. And, and I, like I said, I just think just based on my experience and, and based upon me having the uh, the fortitude to do it and, and me having the courage to do it, you know, but just to bring some of these things up, you know, life shouldn't be, as, as an athletic director or as an educator or a coach, uh, life shouldn't be all about just going to the country club and swinging golf club they're just kind of sitting back and letting guys roll through the system and just understanding that, you know, that could be your kid or these kids have to go somewhere uh, and go back to a community. These kids have to choose a wife one day. They have to choose a girlfriend one day, you know, making these guys more educated and more conscious of their behavior and, and, and building them, giving them skill, um, you know, and lining them up with internships and everything like that. That's part of the process so you can just turn out better people in society. You know what I'm saying? You just can't take uh, a guy's most valuable resources and throw them to the side. Like on a moral level, I think that's wrong. Well, you know, there's a guy out there in, in Cleveland by the name of Johnny Manziel, you know, a great star athlete like yourself, and now he's finding himself running into some issues. He's coming out of rehab, and then there's controversy on his team where his, the leaders don't feel as though he can lead and be that guy, so he's lost the locker room. Have you yourself, being the guy that had a trouble pass but just kind of rebounded, putting your life right back on course, have you reached out to Johnny Manziel? And if you have, you know, or if you could, what would you tell him as far as trying to rebuild his brand and be that player that the Cleveland Browns drafted him to be? Yeah, uh, well, I haven't reached out to Johnny Mazzei. I know the people who are kind of working with him. Uh, he, he works for Mav Carter. That's a LeBron's guy. And so um, Mav gets it, and I can only hope they're speaking this truth to him. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and that's it. But I did I did get a chance to reach out to Josh Gordon, but I was traveling too much at the time, and I didn't have the uh, – the opportunity to get up to Cleveland to him. But, you know, I, I love all these young guys, you know, because guys fight so hard uh, to get to that space. And I've been there, and I kind of blew my opportunity not being as a, not, not being a professional in every sort, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, if I had to give any advice to Johnny, I think the first thing is just discovering and understanding who you are, you know what I'm saying, understanding your role. Uh, it's one thing for your talent to take you uh, and put you in a place where you're, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you slow down. A lot of these guys, uh, it's not just Johnny Manziel. A lot of guys, they develop athletically but not characteristically. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so much of this, uh, so much of a college athlete is in a bubble. You never really get the social experience or the actual uh, student experience on campus. So you actually stand in a bubble from a mental standpoint. And uh, when your athletic ability takes off, it only gets worse because you don't live in a real reality. You live into this reality where 
everything is given to me. So I, it's just a reassessment, just understanding who he is, you know what I'm saying? Understanding who you are outside of this football program and understanding what your behavior um, and, and who you represent as a person represents towards a larger organization, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he, he may not have the leadership skills. He just may be a good football player, but helping him to identify what being a leader is all about and really to tap into those things and, and to have him exemplify that behavior. You know, there's a lot of guys – or just good on teams, but they don't have the leadership skills to to execute or to have other guys follow them. So those are things that he has to develop. Uh, and he's in a vacuum. He's going to be placed on the field because they play any money. And people, excuse me, and uh, people want to see him at this time. But if I had, you know, if I had the time to talk to him, you know, it, it'd be a it'd be a relationship that I would try to create. It wouldn't be just one conversation. Well, once again, if you just join us, we're joined by standout freshman running back from Ohio State, Maurice Claret. You can follow him on Twitter at Reese Claret 13 Before we let you get out here, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. Urban Myers and Ohio State Buckeyes, national champs based off the performance against Oregon State and the inaugural playoff, uh, college football playoffs. But he has an issue that most college programs would love to have. Three dynamic <laughs> quarterbacks. You know, T, he's got uh, uh, TJ, uh, JT Barrett, Cordell Jones, and Braxton Miller here. Who do you see starting? the season off for Urban Myers, and more importantly, who ends the season at the quarterback position? Uh, excuse me. One, and this is just personal opinion, and uh, I just kind of I evaluated the situation, right? And I had went out there as a freshman, and I won the national championship, right? And I asked myself, uh, if I came back that next year and they told me that I was competing for a job, I would have called the coach crazy, right? <laughs> and so uh, when you when you do it when you do it when you get an understanding of the situation, right? We only know of JT Barrett because of Braxton getting hurt. We only understand of uh, uh, Cordell because JT Barrett got hurt. And you know as well as I know that only everybody only understands who uh, Tom Brady is from Drew Bledsoe getting hurt. And that's right. the nature of the beast. You know what I'm saying? If you go down, whether it's your fault or whether it's another guy's fault, it's the next guy up. And if the next guy up is, is proving himself and he's playing, he's carrying the team, uh, I think you just kind of have to give him the reins. It's his job to lose. You know what I'm saying? So coming in, I, I have to say Cordell Jones. And I think he keeps it because uh, your running back is going to give you uh, the coverage you want. You're going to have to bring people in the box to stop Ezekiel Elliott because – as you see in the last three games, he was able to take it to the house. He was able to uh, run very well. So you have to bring up that supportive structure. With the guy having one-on-one -on -one coverage in your first three games, kind of being like your fluff games or your warm-up games, and Cordell being able uh, to go out there and pad his stats or, or win the crowd or um, give confidence and belief to the team, I think that only helps the situation. Uh, but he also does something else that I don't, I don't think the other guys do, and it's just my personal assessment. I think uh, Braxton is the most athletic out of all of them. I I think he's the most gifted and elusive and things of that nature. Um, excuse me, I think that um, JT Barrett, he comes from a, a very military background, uh, a very structured guy, very disciplined guy, very humble guy, very uh, team-oriented guy. But Cordell brings that uh, that inner city, that uh, sort of that dog, that attitude, that uh, that confidence that extends to other guys, right? And when you're running for a championship and when you're igniting teammates, uh, I felt like I was, that was the one thing I brought to my guys when I was uh, when I was running the football out there. You just bring the confidence in guys uh, that they probably wouldn't normally have or they don't normally carry around themselves. And from a leadership standpoint, uh, like when Cordell goes up there and he runs over linebackers or when he pops the defensive lineman in his mouth, when you have a quarterback doing that, it's hard for you as in any position, be it on defense or be it on offense, not for you to give it your all because the guy who's not supposed to be doing this is doing 
Davis. And uh, and we pray, God, that all of these guys stay healthy next year. And it's a, and it's a, it's a great situation, a great problem to have uh, as a fan of the program. But I'm pretty sure uh, in, in the nature of football, I'm pretty sure JT and Braxton uh, aren't happy because you only have one position. That's the unfortunate thing. But, you know, I wish those guys all the best of luck. Braxton has graduated, which is a good thing. Uh, but I wish them all the best of luck. And I wish they all go on and have the opportunity uh, to play at the next level. Well, Maurice, I thank you for joining the program. I know I've been trying for a while to get you on. Always a pleasure, great stuff, and I'm proud of you. I, I, I haven't had a chance to tell you that, but I'm proud of you and what you're doing and going out there and changing the world one individual at a time by going out there and preaching your story. Once again, thank you for joining the program, man, and God bless you. Thank you. All right, appreciate it. That's Maurice Claret coming up after this short break. Is the NFL dumping its toe in the college pool? And what are the repercussions? That on the opposite side of this break, Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective here on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're listening to secondary perspective with nick ferguson to get in the lineup for today's show please call 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com now, back to the show. Oh, man. Great stuff from Maurice Claret. Uh, I love what he's doing. He's taking back his life. He's encouraging uh, people to do the same and not make the same mistake that he, he made. And it's always great when you have someone to do that. He, he was in the limelight, and then he fell on hard times. But the one thing about it, just like boxing, you know at some point it's going to be a slugfest. You're going to take a couple shots. You might fall down and hit the canvas. But at some point, you got to bounce back and you got to stand up. And that's what he's doing right now, standing up. And talking about standing up, it is that time yet again, Mario. It is time to go to court. (laughs) 
on today's court session, Duke Blue Devils and the Wisconsin Badgers. The Final Four reached its climactic end when the Blue Devils freshmen took over. Bo Ryan and Kaminsky, I mean, they were just derailed. And Bo Ryan has some not so good things to say after the game, but here's Coach K and what he had to say about uh, that win Monday night. They showed such grit tonight. Our bench was spectacular. Uh, and it, like we said about two months ago, eight is enough. Eight is enough. Well, first of all, these guys love Grayson. And uh, once he, he gave, we were kind of dead in the water. You know, we were nine points down. And Grayson just put us on his back. And then once he got us in striking distance, we just said, Tyus, run high ball screen and, and DU. You know, that's great coaching, I guess. Uh, and you, both you guys responded. But, you know, Jim, our defense, you know, Emil, Matt, these guys, Marshall, they, they play great, great defense. To, uh, if we don't get stops, we're not going to win the game. Well, I told these guys how proud I was of them. And, uh, you know, it was just a situation where, you, you just have to be able to handle all the hands and, and the checking. I mean, all the body con there was more body contact in this game than any game we've played all year. And I just feel sorry for my guys that all of a sudden a game was was like that, you know. And I think they had a they're struggling with that a little bit. So uh, we we missed some opportunities. They hit they hit some tough shots, but uh, you know, I just it's just a shame that it had to be played that way. Now, Mario, when you, when you go back and you watch that game, as I know that you did, and to hear Bo Ryan and his comments after the game blame the officiating for the reason that the Badgers lost. And for me, when I go back, I remember sitting on the sofa. Now, my wife is not, uh, a, I guess, a basketball enthusiast. She played basketball in high school, but she doesn't watch the game like you and I watch the game. And I remember as she was sitting down, you know, the ball was on, I guess, the, the Duke side of the court, and it appeared as though the ball went off of Winslow's finger before it went out of bounds. And I don't know if, as if the officials had the angles that we had at home, obviously not. And as they zoomed in closely, it, it appeared as though Winslow's finger was the last one to touch before the ball went out of bounds. And my wife was saying, well, well, Nick, can't you see from the angle that you're looking at that that's obviously like Winslow touched the ball? I said, well, I cannot tell. I, I need a closer angle. But when they went to that wide shot and they did one of those Hollywood zoom-in close-ups, I said, well, it looked like he did. But the fishers from their angles and the, and the film that they were looking at, it didn't appear as such. But I still go back to this. There was a point where the Badgers were up by nine points. And they lost that nine-point lead. The freshman from Duke just kind of took over. Tyus Jones and Grayson Allen. But hey, you can't blame the officials because you couldn't stop these two freshmen. For you, did you view it the same way that Bo Ryan and the Wisconsin Badgers and J.J. Watts viewed it as though the Badgers were cheated by the officials? Uh, no, let me premise, preface this by saying, Nick, that I'm not a Duke fan. I ride North Carolina all day, so the fact that I'm defending them should speak volumes to everybody listening. When it's the national championship game, for you to – be as petty as Bo Ryan was and to blame the officials on a call that 
to be perfectly honest, could have gone either way. You need some sort of incredible technology to be able to tell who the ball actually went off of. Um, I, I really don't have a problem with the way that it went down, and I really didn't see Wisconsin winning this game. I mean, outside of Kaminsky and Decker, who I don't think did enough to win the game for the entire game, then uh, – do deserve to win. Their national championship game is when they beat Kentucky. I still think that Kentucky was the best team talent-wise, but Wisconsin beat them. And that was the game that they weren't supposed to win. You know, no one was supposed to be able to beat Kentucky. And I, I just don't think that that desire, that that fire carried over to the national championship game against Duke. And so that's what I blame it on. You know, the players were not prepared to play another big-time game like they were against Kentucky, and I fault Bo Ryan for that, not the officials. Well, I know there was a lot of talk uh, about that, and, and speaking of uh, issues, the NFL itself, and I, I guess they're looking and reevaluating not just what they want to do with the playoffs, the expansion, building a new stadium, but also officials. There is a move to now remove officials and terminate them from their posts if they have been inconsistent over a period of time. But at the same time they're doing that, they've introduced a new female official into the mix. Sarah Thomas will now be the first full-time female official in the NFL game. Your thoughts, is it employed by the NFL or is the right move at the right time? Um, I, I don't think it's a ploy, Nick. I mean, now yeah, obviously she's going to get a little bit of notoriety for being the first female official in the uh, in the NFL. But if she's you know been in college for as long as she has and she's gotten good marks and she deserves to be up there, then why not? You know, I don't think this should be as big a story as it is. If it doesn't matter if you're you know a female or a male, if you do the job and you do it well, especially in the NFL. I mean, <laughs> if she's better than some of the officials that we see, then I'm perfectly fine with it. The only thing, and this is a joke that I heard, so I have to share it with you before we get uh, get out of here on this next break. You know, when she calls a penalty and the players are going to ask why, she's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you what the penalty is because you should already know. <laughs> well, we'll talk more about this on the next side of this break. You listen to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective with Marty Yovatanzi. We'll be right back after this quick break. <laughs> The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bench his ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? 
Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Mario, I want to jump back on uh, the, the topic of the female official uh, really quickly before we move on. You know, before we went to the break, you were talking about as long as she has the credentials, and I think that is a big part of it. I think we live in a society now where, you know, women, they want equal pay for equal work. And I think, you know, the NBA started it off and, and, and kind of started a trend moving in the right direction. Then when the Spurs hired Becky Hammond to take over as assistant coach, the first time, first female assistant coach in the NBA, and the Spurs have always done a great job of setting a trend in the NBA. So I think it was only natural that the NFL follows suit. But I think uh, Sarah Thomas, I mean, she's proven that she can do the job. I mean, seven years in NCAA uh, men's football, and the only thing that she may have to do is you talk about a, a transition and adjusting, adjusting to the speed, adjusting to the news. But I have no doubt that she would do a great job. And there are some, you know, pundits that say, well, because she's a female, maybe she is out of place. But to me, we've had the replacement reps. We saw the debacle that oh they, yeah, we they saw were, plenty of people out of place. Right, and then also we've seen seasoned official, not just one guy, but a group of guys make mistakes. So to me, we shouldn't think about the fact of, from a negative standpoint, when she's going to make a mistake waiting for the shoe to drop. We should encourage this. We should employ this. But I think it's the right time, and I think it's moving in the right direction. The game is more popular and bigger than ever, and I think this is another thing that the league can actually build on a kind of, you know, a stepping stone, if you will. But I expect great things for her from her. And I think she's going to do one heck of a job. Yeah, I completely so. agree. And you, you said it all, man, that the, the, her sex should not matter. OK, if she goes out there and does a good job and gets it done like the way that she has been doing, 
then it's fine. And if she makes a mistake, then she makes a mistake. That is the point of the game. I mean, you find me an official that's never made a mistake, and I'll call you a liar because it's never happened. Well, isn't that why we have instant replay? To correct That is mistakes? why we have instant replay, absolutely. Yeah. Now, here's something else. Now, we've known that the league, you know, want to expand the game. And like I said, the game is bigger than ever. They want to expand the game across the pond to the U.K., and we've seen that with more games being added to this year's uh, schedule, but also expanding the season to maybe 18 games. But more importantly, the league is considering, you know, adding more teams to the playoffs. There's already 12. They want to add 14. I'm on the frame of mind. If, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Don't Amen. reward. Don't reward down stats. I don't want to see another seven and nine team like we saw. I guess it was a seven, eight, and one team. Carolina Panthers get into the playoffs. I don't want to see that. Reward the teams that did it right. They won the divisions, and, and they found a way to get in. And the only way to play for a Super Bowl is to win a division. But win your division, excuse me. But the one of the things I think that what I talked, what I teased about before, is the NFL tipping tipping their toe in a, a pool that could backfire on them because if they expand the playoffs to 14 games, potentially. That runs into the new college playoff system where they want to play that bowl game, uh, that, that playoff game, a championship game, that is, on that Monday. And the league, if they expand to 14, then there's a problem. So some of the issues that you could run into is the fact that here's a pool of where you get your players. This is where you get your players from. But do you want to cause an, that riff or drive a riff with the NCAA and college football? Or, or do you believe in the idea of, expansion is great and we should move from 12 to 14. I, I, I think it's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. And we've talked about it at length on, on this show and on my show when I've had you call in, Nick. It, it's the same thing. It's all about the Benjamins, man. Everything that the NFL does, everything that Roger Goodell does, everything that fuels every one of his decisions is all about money. Do you think he really cares about the good of the teams and making sure that the best teams win every year? Not if you're going to expand the playoffs to the point where almost half of the teams in the NFL get in. You don't reward people for mediocrity. You chastise them for it. And it's, you know, you're adding in extra playoff games. It's just for more money. It's, more, it's for more revenue. It's for more TV viewers. That, that's all it's about, and that's why I'm against it. If their uh, motivation was pure, Nick, then I could definitely see it, but you know that it's not. You know exactly what drives their decision-making, and that's why I think it's deplorable. Now, you know, earlier we, we had, if you missed it, you can go back and listen later to the program, but we had Maurice Claret on, and I asked him about the trouble with Johnny Manziel. And, you know, one of his teammates, Joe Thomas, said about Manziel that he's lost the trust of some of the veterans in that locker room. If you were a member of the Cleveland Browns and looking at what Johnny Manziel was in college, how he came in, he didn't study, he's having a party. And during the season, even though he's on IR and Josh Gordon attends and neither player makes it to practice for the walkthrough that, that next morning, that Saturday, if you're in that locker room, do you welcome him back in the fold? And what would he have to do to earn your trust as a player in that locker room? I mean, it's hard to say. I think that him stepping out and checking himself into rehab 
makes him more of a man than he has ever been before. He admitted that he had a problem, and not only that, he took the steps that it was required to actually fix said problem, Nick. So I think that's a step in the right direction, but this is something that you have to earn. These veteran guys who have been around for a long time, they don't like Johnny Manziel because they don't. he doesn't approach the game the way that they have in the past and the way that they think is necessary to become a championship football team. So it's going to take time. He has to prove that he is an adult. He's going to start handling situations as an adult. And he needs to grow up, bottom line. And I think once the players start seeing that, once he starts changing the way that he acts and you know his demeanor, uh, then I think they'll start welcoming him back with open arms. And like I said, checking himself into rehab was a step in the right direction. But now he has to continue that. He needs to continue taking steps in said right direction. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I, I hope he does that. I, I really do. I love to see guys rebound. I believe individuals need second chances because we are a country built on second chances. We've seen it so much, especially in Hollywood, in athletics. Hopefully, Johnny Manziel can turn his life around and be the quarterback that the Browns drafted him uh, to be. Uh, sticking with the NFL for just a second here. Now, we know there's been some major moves in the AFC East. You know, no longer is there Darrell Revis or Brandon Browner in that secondary for the New England Patriots. So I have to ask you, with the upgrades and acquisitions to the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins, which team has the possibility to upseed, uh, uh, uproot, let me rephrase that, uh, the New England Patriots, Bills, Jets, or the Miami Dolphins? Uh, that's a great question. I've been thinking about that. When the Dolphins signed in Dominican Sue, I was thinking, you know, maybe this is going to be the beginning of the end for Tom Brady, you know, and we've actually talked about his uh, demise on the show and he ended up proving us wrong last year as soon as we started talking about the Tom Brady time clock or uh, suck clock ticking and everything. So um, in my mind right now, I think it's the Bills because I think Rex Ryan is the correct guy to finally be in Buffalo. He's going to bolster that defense even more than it is. They got the running game in place. The quarterback situation, I'm sure they will get figured out, Nick. You know, I don't love anybody that they have there right now, but Rex Ryan took the Jets to a couple AFC championship games with Mark Sanchez. So clearly quarterback is not the most important thing. This Bills defense uh, will be good enough to stop the Patriots offense. And, you know, LaShawn McCoy now on that team is going to make them a running team, which is exactly what Rex Ryan is able to do. And so if we've seen anything in the past, Nick, it's that when Rex Ryan has a good defense and a running game, he's more than capable of beating Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Well, to me, you know, I look at the Buffalo Bills as definitely being that team because when you look at Rex Ryan's past, a defensive-minded coach, to put a great bunch of defensive guys together. And when he was in Baltimore, that's one of the things that he did. And remember, this is a Baltimore team that is constantly giving the New England Patriots fits over the years. So when you come and you inherit a great defense, Marcel Darius, Kyle Williams, and Mario Williams, with the ability to bring the pressure off the edge. If his name is Mario, you know he's good. Exactly. And I play with Mario, so I know what type of player he is. I mean, when you talk about double-digit sacks, uh, I guess recently, I mean, he has that ability and they have collectively to defensively to be that group of guys to give Bill Belichick and Tom Brady all they can handle. But then I look at the offensive side of the ball. You talk about LaShawn McCoy, dynamic runner, 
matchup nightmare, and hard, a hard guy to tackle in the open field, but then you bring in another guy with some of the same attributes where you can play him in a slot, you can play him out wide, you can put him in the backfield, and that's Percy Harvin. I know he, he's had a trouble pass with the Seattle Seahawks and the New York Jets, but I think in that little short tenure he spent with Rex Ryan, Rex saw something in him. Then you bring in a veteran, Matt Castle, and you don't really need him to do anything. You don't really need him to do that much. Exactly. He, he could be a Trent Dilford. He could be an Alex Smith. Just don't turn the ball over. You got Robert Woods, Marquise Goodwin. Now Sammy Watkins is coming back off an ankle injury. You have some pieces in place. And, I, and for me, I'm just going to go out on a limb right now. You know, barring injury or anything else, I'm going to go ahead and project that the Buffalo Bills will win the AFC East, followed by the New England Patriots. I, I, I said I know it's bold predictions. It is early, but I like That's Rex real Ryan. early for a bold prediction. <laughs> hey, listen. I, hey, look. You, they're going to add some more pieces in this draft, but looking at what they have on paper and the mentality of the coach and the Greg Roman being the offensive coordinator that comes over from San Francisco 49ers, this is a team that's prime and ready to take over the AFC East. So I think that for me, I think that that's what's going to uh, happen. Uh, here's some uh, other related news. Baseball season. That's right, Mario. One of your favorite things kicked off this past week. And I'm going to let's go out west for a second. Let's talk about your uh, Rockies. Three and no start. First since 2001. Are you Love optimistic? It that they can continue this trend, or are we being set up and teased for a fall? If, if there's one thing I know, it's about the Rockies, Nick. It's that they're going to have an excellent April, and they're going to have a terrible May. That's usually how this team operates. Uh, you know, The Brewers, there weren't a ton of expectations, I think, in my opinion, because their pitching staff isn't you know, really what it used to be. I don't think that they have the arms to get it done. Bullpen isn't great. They have some big bats, uh, but Ryan Braun was hurt last year, so his health kind of remains a question as well. I want to see them do it against some of these division teams who are, you know, going to finish at the top. The Dodgers, we see what they're doing with Adrian Gonzalez right now. The Padres really loaded up. Uh, the Diamondbacks, probably the one team that the Rockies should be able to handle. And then, of course, who can forget the World Series champions in three of the last five years or whatever <laughs> it is, the San Francisco Giants. I mean, that division is very, very good. So it's never been an issue with this team scoring runs, which they are doing in buckets right now. It's always about pitching. So if they can get a little bit of consistent pitching and, you know, get their starters into the, you know, the sixth and seventh inning and, you know, if their bullpen can step up and, you know, Latroy Hawkins, 40 year old closer, man, they, they, they might need to spell him here pretty quickly. He <laughs> gave up, gave up two runs in the ninth, four hits and two runs in the ninth to blow that save. And luckily Willian Rosario came to the rescue, but I want to see what they do with the rest of April and into May because they're going to have like the next, I think, 17 or 18-ish games are going to be against division opponents. So we're really going to get a good look at this strong division. Uh, they're going to play every one of their division opponents coming up after this series with the Cubs. So, man, time will tell. Like I said, offense is not going to be a problem. Dickerson, Cargo, and Tulo. Uh, even Blackman, Morneau was a batting champion last year. They have the bats to absolutely get it done. Arenado over there at third. It's all going to be about the pitching just like it is every year. Because the one year that they had pitching, Nick, 
they went to the World Series. So am I optimistic? Yes. Am I going to think that this continues? No, because even though I'm optimistic, I am also a realist. But man, they have been fun to watch thus far. Well, you mentioned San Francisco Giants, and one way they've been able to do it, great outfield play, great pitching, and you have to have a closer. And what you don't have a guy like Madison Bumgarner, but hey, listen, hopefully the Colorado Rockies can actually uh, put some things together in their bullpen, get some closing, play some great defense, and maybe we might be talking about them in that pennant race. We still have to wait. But before we get out of here, both twins, Andrew and Aaron, Harris have declared for the NBA draft. They're not projected to go really high. Before we get out of here, your thoughts on that really quick. Um, I, I think that this is going to be their last hurrah in, uh, in college anyway. I was kind of surprised that they are declaring, especially because Kentucky will be right there next year as a, uh, as a contender for the national championship. But get your money while you can, young blood. I can't hate you for it. Calipari is one of the best in college basketball, one and done, and then reloading but so we'll see what the wildcats of kentucky can do i want to thank maurice Claret for joining the program and i'm proud of him for, again for what he's doing justin on the boards in arizona and as always my batman to my robin my iron man to my incredible hulk mario vitanzi for joining the program follow him at mile high mario i am nick ferguson at nick ferguson underscore 25 have a great thursday enjoy life hey the masters this weekend tune in watch that tiger woods return Voice America Sports, secondary perspective, and we're gone. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. <laughs>